0: Day 23 of 31 Days of Terror and I have 5 Spooky Stories for you today and story number 1 comes from Madison. I grew up in a small mountain town in California. My family experienced many paranormal events and I was fairly used to this type of thing happening or hearing stories from my mom's childhood that couldn't be explained. My mom was especially attuned to spirits and very open to a universe of possibilities past our own current reality. I think her openness to the unknown always intrigued me, and made both of us more prone to strange things happening, because we weren't scared of it. I would consider myself to have untapped abilities to feel spirits, and am highly empathetic to those around me. I have loads of stories from both my childhood and hers, but one is the most validating, When I was 13, my parents split and we moved from the small mountain town to an even smaller desert community an hour away. My mom's house sits on a hill in the middle of the Mojave Desert, 20 minutes outside the town of Joshua Tree. She has 10 acres surrounding her house and her nearest neighbor is at least half a mile away. The house always felt heavy with energy, but never a negative presence. We would see shadows, hear noises and never felt fully alone. My mom would talk to the entity, and always felt as if it protected the property. However, we knew the previous owners of the house. It was an older couple, who built it from the ground up in the late 60s, and both were very much still alive and well. For a 13-year-old girl, this was a lot to process, but again, I never felt any negativity from this spirit, and I did my best to be tough. One day my mom had a few friends over and one of them was a clairvoyant of sorts. She told my mom that we had a strong spirit in the home. My mom agreed and told her how we felt and just coexisted with it. Her friend went on to tell her it was specifically a Native American chief who had lived on the property years ago and he loved the way we took care of the land. My mom gardens, tends to the animals and always did her best to be eco-conscious. Think modern-day Snow White, but in the desert and way more hippie-ish, and that he protected the property. While this may have frightened most, it made both of us feel a sense of safety, being that it was just the two of us in the middle of the desert. I just sort of accepted the spirit and addressed him as chief. I would let him know that I respected him, but would prefer not to see him, because even though I knew he wasn't a negative entity, I couldn't help but be scared. It seemed that he honoured my wishes and never made himself overly known to me. I would just sometimes feel his energy. My mom, however, would see his shadow often, hear noises and sometimes feel he was in the room watching us. Everyone who came to the house would feel this energy, and everyone just sort of played along with calling him chief. We never knew for sure that he was indeed a Native American chief, but in lack of a better word of what to call him, we just continued." And this went on for years. Fast forward to ten years later when I was living on my own in Palm Springs, about an hour away. And a friend of mine and I went to the mountains to get away from the blistering summer heat. We found a quaint little town with various shops and places to eat. While we were exploring, we came upon a new age bookstore. Being the hippie children that we are, we went inside. While we were rummaging through crystals and books a woman walked out and asked if we wanted a reading. She was plainly dressed, there was no head wrap or crystal ball, and she showed us to a room in the back of the store. My friend went first, and I waited outside. I was open, but I am always practical, and I knew I would not go into it revealing anything personal and seeing if she picked up on anything specific. Once my friend finally came out, the look on her face showed me that this woman was in fact the real deal. I entered the dimly lit room and had a seat with the woman. She pulled some cards and delivered various messages, all of which were deeply personal and specific, and I sat there with equal parts of shock and amazement. At the end, she asked me if I had any questions for her, and I immediately asked if there were any spirits or guides with me because I've always been curious. She reached for my hand and touched a ring that I was wearing. She told me the woman who the ring belonged to was there and that she loved me and my mom very much. She said the woman showed her and my mom going through boxes and spending time together. The ring belonged to my great-grandmother, who was said to be the reason for my mother and my strong intuition and openness with spirits. I was wearing multiple antique rings, but she picked that specific one out. Next, she mentioned a deceased family member of my friend, the one who was with me, who came through for me to give her a message. It was deeply personal and loving, and tears welled in my eyes knowing the healing this message would bring to her. The woman sat quietly with a look of confusion on her face. Eventually, she said, This seems really strange, but someone is standing behind you, not in your lineage. It could be for someone else or a confused spirit, but just bear with me. It's a large, Native American elder standing with his son. He is showing me a house in the middle of the desert, and him walking around the perimeter of the property protecting it. My stomach sank. Chills ran through my body. I had always felt him, talked to him, knew he was there, but to have it confirmed was something else entirely. How could this random woman in this small forest town have known that I was from the desert, let alone describe in detail my mom's house in the desert an hour away? I sat there quiet and remained calm, not showing on my face that all of this was making perfect sense to me. She continued that this man was showing her a specific instance where someone had come to the property recently and he had chased them off. She said it seemed to have something to do with drugs. None of that made sense to me, but I eventually spoke up and told her I knew exactly who that was and he resided in my mother's house in Joshua Tree. She seemed relieved and almost shocked as well. She said he cared deeply for us and watched out for us and the house. A sense of love washed over me. Tears fully streamed down my face. I could feel his presence surround me. We thanked the woman and walked back to the car, both so shocked at what had happened. I immediately called my mom to tell her and mentioned the weird part of him chasing someone off the property since it wasn't something that I could recall. My mom didn't say anything. Hello, I asked her. Her voice shaky, she replied. I didn't want to scare you. But a month ago, all of the houses in our area were broken into by meth heads looking for stuff to steal and to pawn to buy drugs. The cops followed the footprints up to our house and then they just turned around and didn't go in and I never knew why. The chief had scared them off. We were both so validated in our shared experience of this spirit who had been quietly protecting us for all of these years. I'm so thankful to that unassuming woman who shared her gifts with us that day that she was able to give me validation and my friend healing. We still feel chief and I always feel like I'm reunited with a long-lost friend when I go back home. There are many other stories from encounters with this man, but this was the most special to share. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. And story number two comes from Georgia. My ghostly tale begins with a story not of my own memory, but of my family's. In this one, I was three years old, and telling my mum about a lady and a man who came to tell me bedtime stories. Now, my mum, despite believing in the other world, kind of brushed it off thinking that it was just part of my imagination. Until one day, my nanny put a photo of her long-deceased parents in her living room. Three-year-old me looked at this photo and loudly exclaimed, Those are the people that tell me stories at night, Teddy and Rosie. My mum and my nanny looked at me in horror. They had never shown pictures or even talked about my great-grandparents before. Between the ages of 10 and 19, supernatural-esque things happened in my house, and in the family in general, and it really started to amp up. It's good to bear in mind that we had, in this period of time, three members of the family pass away, and boy did they want to be heard. Perhaps the most famous story of that time is after my auntie Maureen had unfortunately died and my mum and my nanny were having a good old natter on the phone about her. Mum standing at the hob cooking tea. While they were talking, suddenly an ornament on the other side of the kitchen literally flew across the room and landed at my mum's feet. The chip on it evident to this day. There was no way for it to fall like that. It was literally like someone had thrown it. During this time, there were also lots of little things happening. The TV turning itself on and off, even after taking the batteries out of the remote. A weird shadow man standing in the corner of my room. And a phone call to my nanny. This phone call came from the house that was now standing empty. No one else had access to Auntie Maureen's house except my nanny, and both her and my grandad were at home to see and hear the phone call. That time, my nanny didn't pick up. A few years later, another death occurred in the family. My great nanny Mitchell, my maternal granddad's mum. A couple of weeks later, a phone call came through to my grandmother's house and my nanny answered it, putting the phone on loudspeaker like she always does. And the voice that answered was the one of my late great nanny calling my granddad's name several times and then saying that she was just calling to see if he was all right. I forgot to mention my granddad was in the room and they both heard everything. My grandparents swear that this phone call happened. Finally, a few weeks after my partner's nanny had passed away, I woke up at 2am in our flat, which was in a very old building. My partner was still fast asleep, and I was about to try and go back to sleep until I heard it knocking on our bedroom door. It wasn't coming from anywhere else in the flat. And it was definitely on our bedroom door. And we lived alone. The knocking went on incessantly for two hours. I couldn't bring myself to open the door and just sat listening to this knocking for the whole time until I eventually passed out. The whole time, my partner stayed deeply asleep. But I know that if he had been awake, we would have been hightailing it out of there. These are only literally a few of the things that had happened. I've still got a few things up my sleeve, including psychic things like seeing a murder in my head that actually became real. And story number 3 comes from Linda. I have several stories to send, some of which I'm trying to get all the facts from my mom nailed down from her own experiences. I come from a long line of sensitive people, it would seem. My sister and her family live in Colorado while at the time, my mom and I still lived in California. We decided one day that we should just take a road trip and surprise her, hang out in Colorado for a week or so and then drive back home. Along the way, on the I-15 freeway, out in the middle of the high desert, there's an old abandoned water park that used to be called Lake Dolores when I was a kid. Then it changed to Rockahula or something before shutting down for good. Lake Dolores was just one of your average free-for-all 70s or 80s death trap, with metal slides and long ropes to swing into the lake, etc. None of that is related to the story, I don't think, but maybe I need to do more research. As we were passing the old water park, traffic started to slow a little bit, and there on the side of the freeway stood two young girls. They looked to be about eight to six years old, and they looked like sisters. It looked as though they hadn't bathed in some time, just standing on the hard shoulder of the freeway, holding each other's hand. Not terrifyingly creepy like the Shining Sisters, but what the hell were they doing alone, standing so close to such a busy freeway? I called 911 immediately when we passed them, not sure if I should pull over and grab them or what. And when I told the dispatcher what we were seeing, she replied that they had already had several calls regarding the girls. By now there were a few cars pulled off the side of the highway, so I knew that others had seen them as well. I figured since the authorities were already on their way, we might as well just keep driving to make our halfway point before dark. The entire time we were in Colorado, every day I went online to see if I could find any news or anything related to what happened to those girls. I still do it even today, almost 20 years since. But I never found out anything about them. I would have thought it would have been something that would have at least made page 2 of some small town newspaper. But no. So not a ghost story. I can't legitimately say that we saw two ghost girls. But certainly one of the creepiest things that I'd seen. On the way back to California this time through the incredibly beautiful sandstone landscapes of utah pretty much in the middle of nowhere on the side of the road lay a man his back to the highway in a fetal position wearing jeans and a flannel shirt of course my first instinct was to stop and help but there are so many stories of people disappearing into the desert because they've stopped to help someone and that person was just bait while others were hiding and waiting for someone to get out of their car So 911 on speed dial and reported yet another creepy roadside attraction. We did notice that a minivan pulled over behind us and stopped. I hoped I was wrong about the bait thing, but who knows. Anyways, about 20 years have passed. I now live in Blair Witch Country, in probably the most haunted small town in America, and thought you would get a kick out of my creepy old road trip story. I'll send in some frightening ghost Ouija board and time slip stories if you'd like. And story number 4 comes from Chris. I've never really had any ghost experiences until this happened. It was the summer of 2018. I live in Boston and every summer my friends and I go on vacation together. The place we chose this year was a lake house in Guilford, New Hampshire. The lake house was a pretty standard new england lake house it wasn't creepy nor did i feel uneasy when we first got there we stayed for a whole week and it was a great time up until the last night we'd spent the whole day drinking and it was around 1.30 am when we decided to put the fire out and call it a night we went with six guys and two girls Every guy took a turn peeing on the fire, and just for good measure I filled a five-gallon bucket of water and dumped it on the embers. The fire didn't stand a chance. Me and the girl I was seeing at the time got stuck on the couch in the front living room. For reference, the fire pit was right outside the living room. She fell asleep almost instantly. I couldn't sleep, so I just sort of laid there, bored, but eventually I started falling asleep. As soon as I started to fall asleep, I noticed shadows dancing on the ceiling as if the fire was lit again. I went outside of my boxers and found the fire roaring again. So I thought, that's kind of weird. And once again, I filled the bucket and dumped it on the fire. About 30 minutes went by and it happened again. This time, when I went outside, a sense of overwhelming dread set in. The fire kept relighting itself every 30 minutes and I would have to fill the bucket and dump water onto it. I can't really explain it, but it felt like something was calling me into the woods every time I went out. Part of me just wanted to take off running into the woods, but I was scared shitless so I didn't. At around 3am all of our car alarms went off and literally nobody woke up. I stayed up all night that night. At around 7am I was watching TV and my friend's girlfriend was the first one awake. I told her about my night and she told me that she also had a weird night. My friend woke her up in what she described as a trance right around the same time I was playing firefighter in my underwear and said to her I don't like it here. There's no cell service. How will we call anybody? They're coming to kill us. It was our last day so I packed all my shit as fast as I could and was ready to get the fuck out of there. My friend's girlfriend wanted to look at the pictures she had taken on her phone from the week, only to find horror. There were only a few electrical outlets in the house, so she had to charge her phone in a separate room. Her phone had taken over 300 pictures with the flash on, and in each picture you could clearly see little white orbs. The freakiest part was that the girl I was seeing brought a disposable camera. We took a picture together by the fire that night, and when she got the photos developed, there was a big, white, shadowy figure standing behind us. I felt so much relief when we left, almost like this weight had been lifted off my shoulders. I did a quick Google search of the town and the house we stayed in because I was curious. But I honestly wish I didn't. The house we stayed in was sold five times in the past ten years. About a mile from where we were staying, a woman and her dog were murdered on Halloween night the previous year. Of course, it's still unsolved. I found a YouTube video from a security camera at a general store in Guildford that showed a glass bowl levitating off a table and then crashing to the ground. I always look back at that night. It's a bit funny now because almost everyone slept through everything that was going on and the only thing protecting them from whatever evil was there was me, in my boxers, armed with a bucket of water. And story number 5 comes from Adam. Let me start by saying that I am hugely sceptical about 99% of what people call hauntings, and feel that they just want attention. That being said, there is still the 1% that leave you scratching your head for an explanation. The first incident that happened to me was in the house that I grew up in, Nothing ever felt wrong or off in the house, just like something was there. Noises that could be explained if other people were home, but it just so happened that they weren't. Shadows at the edge of your vision, mostly passing by doorways between rooms, but nothing scary. When I was 16 or 17, I was laying in my bed with the TV on. My younger brother's door was directly across from mine with the bathroom door to the left of my door. I'm not sure if I was asleep or about to fall asleep, but I felt someone grab both of my ankles and I was pulled halfway off the end of my bed. My feet were scraping the floor, but my upper body was still on the bed. It felt like one of those dreams when you feel like you're falling, but you wake up and it feels like you just fell into bed. My first thought was that it was my younger brothers trying to scare me. However, my door was shut. It never opened, and when I checked on them, they were both sleeping soundly. I choked it up to a dream and an overactive imagination and laid back down. I started to watch TV to try and take my mind off the experience that I had just had when I saw movement by the foot of my bed. I turned to see what it was and proceeded to watch a shadow of a person rise up my door with nothing actually standing at the foot of my bed. It stayed there for about 10 seconds and then it sunk back down. Nothing else ever happened, and even after that I never felt threatened. I think it just wanted acknowledgement. The second story happened at my work right after I'd gotten the job. Now there are many stories I could tell you about weird things that happened in that building. It is in Danvers, Massachusetts, at the bottom of Hawthorne Hill, which is where the old Danvers State Hospital was. There are many times my co-workers and I will see or hear things, but it's a big building with lots of machinery, so that's probably the cause of most of it. The one that has no other explanation is this. At the time, I was on second shift. Our hours were 3.30pm to 1.30am Monday to Thursday, with overtime on Friday and Saturday. On Saturday, we were allowed to come in at noon and stay as late as we wanted, The company I work for has been in existence since 1909 and has expanded. It started as a machining shop and now also does ultrasonic inspection. I work on the ultrasonic side. At the time, the only bathroom was on the machine shop side of the building. As of this point in my tenure at the company, I still had not met everyone employed there. Also on Saturdays, the machine shop would close at 1pm. I arrived at work at noon, started my systems and then went to heed nature's call. The machine shop has an open floor plan, no walls through the middle at all, just rows of machines, most of them 12 feet long, 4 feet wide and 9 feet tall, so pretty big. I walk past all of the rows and see a person working in the first row, but that's all. As I pass the last row... And take a left to walk towards the bathroom door. I see a man lean out from behind the third machine in the row. I figured that he heard me walking and was looking to see who I was. I waved, and he leaned back behind the machine, and I went into the bathroom intending to introduce myself afterwards. After I finished in the bathroom, I walked around to the front of the machine that I saw him at to say hello, and no one was there. The machine was shut down, so I figured it was 12.45. They close at 1, so he must have left for the day. Three weeks later, I was in the conference room in the front offices of the building for a training class. I hadn't thought much of the guy, until we took a lunch break and I was looking at old company photos from the 50s and 60s on the walls. I see a clearly younger version of the man sitting in the front row of some of the pictures. At this point, my boss came in and I asked him who the man was. He asked me why I wanted to know and had a strange look on his face. So I explained to him that three weeks ago I saw him but didn't get to introduce myself and I wanted to say hello as I had not seen him since. My boss then said, Show me where you saw him. I thought that was weird but I said okay and I walked to where I saw him. When we got there, the machine was being run by a different man. One who I realised had been running them since I'd started working there. My boss then explained to me that the person I saw did in fact run that machine until the day he retired in 1995 and proceeded to have a heart attack in his car in the parking lot the day he picked up his last paycheck. Thank you to Linda, Georgia, Madison, Chris and Adam for your stories and thank you for listening to today's episode. If you've got a spooky story that you would like to share you can do so by emailing it to reallifeghoststoriespodcast at gmail.com and you can also check out our website reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com and on that note we shall see you tomorrow.